0: An ambitious young production company, largely made up of Fordham University's current and former students, has taken on the challenge of reimagining Shakespeare's Richard III with some special flair. Good morning, this is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. Less Than Rent Productions is made up of writers, directors, actors, and support staff. Almost everything needed for a creative and entertaining theater program. And come August, they'll take the classic tale, Richard III, and document his murderous rise to and fall from power with some rock and punk music thrown in for good measure. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So let's go around and have everyone introduce themselves and tell me what you do in the play.
1: Hey, I'm Jake Alquist. I'm playing Richard, Duke of
2: Gloucester, later King Richard III. Hi, I'm Jason Zarin. I'm playing Ratcliffe, uh, Richard's. Boy.
3: Hi, I'm Rachel Beefy. I'm playing Queen Elizabeth in the play, and I also did a lot of the vocal arrangements.
4: My name is James Presson, and I am directing and adapted the script.
5: Hi, I'm Becca Ballinger, and I'm playing Lady Anne Neville.
0: Now, I'd like someone to tell me the story of Richard III. Who would be best to summarize it?
1: Richard, King Richard. Richard III is the story of a guy whose brother just became king of England, and he feels um, used because he didn't really get much out of the war besides the fact that he was a huge and important warrior. So he decides that he wants to be king, and he's going to stop at nothing to become king if that means killing both of his brothers and several other people along the way, including small children. He'll do it. Uh, And he does it, and then things start to fall apart.
0: And in the process, he ends up manipulating his way to the kingdom and then dies?
1: Towards the end of the play, he dies. It is a tragedy. Uh, Yeah, Um, he manipulates his way into the kinghood by lying a lot, very convincingly, uh, fighting really hard, and again, killing a lot of people. And getting married? Yes, twice. twice. Well, one and a half times, really.
0: So what about your adaptation of the play will entertain or surprise the audience? This is James, and our production is, uh,
4: has been reset uh, after the apocalypse. So instead of starting with uh, the end of the War of the Roses, we're going to be starting with the end of the final world war. And out of uh, the destruction, there are only a few people left, and it's a, it's a completely new setting for the play the characters have all been uh, changed to teenagers or 20-something-year-olds, and they're full of uh, angst and, uh, and teenage rebellion, and the, the play's themes have all kind of been uh, reimagined through that lens. So that's something a little bit uh, unique about our production.
0: So post-World War Three, what has happened to the world? Who wants to comment on that one?
2: Hi, this is Jason. Um, Post-World War III, uh, really nothing natural has survived except for us. I know that the design concept is uh, dealing a lot with, you know, synthetics and uh, things of that nature. Um, And then the only people who really have survived are the young and the sort of, you know, survival of the fittest.
0: and the, at this point the young are the fittest.
2: The young are the fittest, yeah. There's, there's no old people. I mean, the oldest person is probably like, what, 35? Um, and then, so I'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> you, you would be dead, um, yeah. Uh, and then there's, the youngest is a, a little infant that the character Stanley uh, cares for the entire play.
3: This is Rachel. Because not many people are left alive, those who are have to form bonds. The original play has a lot to do with families, obviously. you know Richard is getting rid of his brothers, getting rid of his brother's children in order to get to the throne. But um, our adaptation changes that a little bit because a lot of the characters aren't actually related in ours because they're all the same age. It really sets up, I think, um, this world of people struggling to create a society, create a hierarchy when really everything has been destroyed.
5: This is Becca. I think another thing that is really interesting about this play is that um, a lot of people see it and they wonder why the characters make the choices they do. For example, my character, Lady Anne, has a scene in the first act where she decides to marry Richard, who has killed both her, her husband and her father. And a lot of people, you know, when they watch the play, they're like, well, why does she make that decision? Why did any of these characters make these crazy decisions? But if we look at it you know, from the perspective of this post-apocalyptic world, It's a lot to do with survival, their choices make a lot more sense because they have to, they have to create something to hold on to.
0: So speaking on the various characters, and we can go around,
1: how do you see your character being performed? Uh, This is Jake. And you're playing? And I'm playing Richard. And what I find so interesting about him is that he is so unbelievably smart and so quick in his reactions to things, he's able to react so fast and so intelligently throughout the majority of the play. So what's most interesting to me, I guess, since it's a tragedy, is is why does he choke at the end? What, why does he die? How does he lose? Do you plan
0: on playing him as evil as some have in the past?
1: I mean, it's wrong, I guess, to think of your character specifically as evil because you want to be able to sympathize with them too. So you just sort of have to be able to justify their actions, you know, I have to justify having a lot, a lot, a lot of people killed. Um, So how do you do that? You try and find something within yourself that can make sense of that that human need. Because at some point, some guy like this did all the things that are in this play, probably. There's got to be some reason why, and there's got to be something in me that can speak to that as well.
2: Hi, I'm Jason, I'm playing Ratcliffe. He's a character of very few words, but in this production, a lot of intense action. Uh, What draws me to him is just his ability to do the disgusting and evil things that he does without... um, Conscience? Yeah, without any conscience, and just how he's able to take uh, the orders from Richard, and and run with it and get this sort of um, sick pleasure out of doing what he does.
0: Um, What about him is human to you? What part can you sympathize with?
2: Um, Or is there a part you can't? Yeah, I mean, I could sympathize with him. Uh, A lot of his humanity is gonna come out um, sort of in in the humor of the character, and I think that that's what's gonna, I I hope, make him likable on some level.
3: Hi, I'm Rachel, and I'm playing Queen Elizabeth. For a play that's a lot about hierarchy, I find it very interesting that the characters who really get things done in this play are those who break the hierarchy and think, about, think outside of it. Richard would obviously be the most obvious example, but interestingly enough, he doesn't win at the end. And what I am excited about, about Elizabeth, is that she is not someone who is initially in the royal family and made her way into the royal family and has to endure a lot of things through this play. A lot of people that she loves die, but she keeps it together and at the end keeps her
5: family alive.
0: And did you want to elaborate any more on your part?
5: Sure, Um, this is Becca, I'm playing Lady Anne. I guess sort of similar to what Rachel said, um, Anne enters into this play with her attachments to the hierarchy basically annihilated. Her father killed, her husband killed, so she's pretty much out there on her own. And the scene she has with Richard where he woos her into marrying him is, you know, the impossible scene in Shakespeare because in the original play it's the funeral procession for her father when he approaches her and moves her. It's like, how on earth is a woman, like, that's not possible? But I guess the fun for me about this play is finding a way to make it possible, because it is. And so, you know, how do I walk that fine line of, like, decision for survival? Is there any love? Like, what are all the nuances of that? And then, like, once it's happened, what's the fallout for Anne? Is there love there? It's all conflated in this its world like love and survival and need and need to be with somebody you know once you're stripped of everything and you're out on your own especially like if you think about this post-apocalyptic nuclear destruction landscape you know you want somebody to take care of you you want somebody to care about you and so, some level of comfort yeah absolutely and safety and just so I think there's a lot that's involved there and I absolutely don't want to rule love out.
0: I'm Robin Shannon on 90.7 WFUV discussing the new musical adaptation of Shakespeare's Richard III with Less Than Rent Productions. This team, largely made up of Fordham University's current and former students, is preparing to debut the play in August as part of the New York International Fringe Festival. Stay with us, more Fordham Conversations is ahead. Shaving Benny Bell grew up on the Lower East Side of Manhattan and dreamed of being the next Irving Berlin. He wrote and sung hundreds of songs, including this one, Shaving Cream. But Bell's music career never fully took off. Hi, I'm George Bodarkey. Coming up on this morning, Cityscape, Bell's grandson, Joel Sandberg, shares his granddad's story. That Cityscape, this morning at 7.30, right here on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Why do you believe Shakespeare's plays have stood the test of time where people are choosing to rewrite them and recreate them?
5: I'm uh, Becca. I think Shakespeare's plays are universal. The emotions are human, so we're connected to them. Um, the you know fight for survival, the fight for love, all of those elements that are in all of Shakespeare's plays, we can connect to, and I think that's what makes him live. And also, I think something very interesting to mention about Richard, Richard III, is um, like... James mentioned earlier, you know, in this time when Shakespeare was writing the Tudors were in power and Richard, even though in reality he wasn't like necessarily evil or even very deformed at all, um, he was shown as evil. But even in this play, Shakespeare could not manage to make a fully evil character. You see his vulnerabilities um, and I think that's why Shakespeare is a genius. He can't write anyone that's not three-dimensional and so his characters live on and his stories live on.
4: Uh, This is James. There's also a nice quote in this play, conveniently, uh, in uh, Act 3, in which uh, the young prince says, "Methinks the truth should live from age to age, even to the general all-ending day. Shakespeare's really saying that the truth will continue to live on. And Shakespeare's play really, as Becca said, connect to that deep human truth about how we're all vulnerable, about how we all want things and are constantly in a struggle to get them uh, both internal and external, and any play that like really touches on a deep human truth like that, I mean, is bound to live on forever.
0: Uh, is there a writer today that uh, any of you believe has the longevity of Shakespeare? Someone whose stories uh, will be retold and rewritten by future generations?
1: This is Jake. Uh, James Presson is uh, probably that writer. No. Um, <laughs> Who rewrote this story? (laughs) Who wrote this story? No. Um, To be honest, I don't know if there is. Uh, I would hope so. I would hope that writers that, you know, I spend all my time reading, you know, uh, even people like David Mamet or Arthur Miller or Tennessee Williams, you would hope that their works would live on for hundreds and hundreds of years, but the fact is uh, they're all just sort of revamps of the stories that we hear in Shakespeare. Uh, and I think that's why his stories have lived so long and why their versions of these stories um, could fall into antiquity a lot easier.
4: This is James. I think the short answer is probably no.
0: Since we're, we're getting kind of a consensus on no, is there a reason why you don't think anybody is writing up to par? Something that would stand the test of time.
1: This is Jake. I don't think it's a matter of uh, even writing up to par. I think it's a we, we have a, an incredible American tradition of writers and an incredible world tradition of writers. We have a bunch of people who are writing incredible things every day. Um, but the thing is, uh, all of these experiences that we're writing about today uh, are being put in our own modern vernacular and so like, you know, if people are looking for examples of our vernacular 400, 500 years from now, yeah, they could pick up a copy of David Sedaris or a Don DeLillo novel or something. but what i think is so forever lasting about shakespeare is that these stories don't stop they're always retelling themselves and and when we're reading you know new stories or when we're watching new films that we think are brilliant all they're doing is in a lot of ways just retelling a lot of these stories that we've been telling each other for years since shakespeare's time and since before him during the greeks but but he wasn't also the only person writing during his time either
4: um, I was going to just say that, that all of the, the, all the questions you're asking about this really touch on the idea of um, mythology. This is James, and uh, the thing is, is that we're really, as, as, uh, as people, as storytellers, just telling the same stories over and over again, and they didn't start with Shakespeare, but sometimes the most definitive versions were captured by him in his poetic language. You know, we're always going to be retelling the same myths over and over again and just shifting uh, vernaculars, as Jake said. We'll just have to see
0: how it goes. I'd like to go around and find out what authors or playwrights have spoken to you and why. Can we start, start over here?
5: Okay. Uh, this is Becca. Um, man, that's hard. I grew up with Shakespeare, so um, he's very near and dear to my heart, but um, I guess Recent writers, um, I guess someone that I want to mention just linked to Shakespeare. I love Sarah Rule. She writes similarly, I think, in this like lyrical, poetic language, um, and also, you know, in simplicity delves into deep human emotion. Um, what does
0: she write? I've never heard of her.
5: She's, she's actually pretty popular right now. She just had on Broadway um, the In the Next Room or the Vibrator play. Um, they did at Second Stage a while back, they did her Eurydice, which is an adaptation of a Greek myth. Um, So, you know, there you go, bringing the same old stories into new light. Um, I also, uh, I love Tennessee Williams. Um, He writes the best women ever written. (laughs) Um, And again, beautiful, beautiful language.
2: Hi, this is Jason. Kind of like Becca said, I have to say that uh, the more and more exposure I've gotten to Shakespeare, the more I've really uh, kind of fallen in love with him. As for a modern playwright, I have to say one that's probably affected me most is, this might be kind of, whatever, a cliche, but like uh, Tony Kushner, just what he's able to do with language and um, the complexities of his plays and really how you, when reading it, or I would imagine even performing it, just how you have to figure out the intricacies and how everything weaves in and out of each other and being able to, in a similar way to Shakespeare, making them, making the characters real and human, but even more than that, like these theatrical beings, I think it's just... An example? An example. Of
3: Krishna?
2: Oh, Angels in America is the most obvious, yeah.
3: My name is Rachel Beethy. I would have to mention Anton Chekhov. You can't be a Fordham student and <laughs> go through four years without knowing, loving, and just being completely in awe of Chekhov's work. It's a huge part of our curriculum at the school. And um, What are some of the things Chekhov writes? Well, Chekhov has four major plays, and um, basically what, why he's important to me is that his characters. Again, we're talking so much about character. Shakespeare, famous for his beautiful language, but really why I think the plays last is because he created characters you care about. Same thing with Chekhov for me is it's these characters who are just so human and that that a person can read one of those plays which was written, you know, 100 years ago and has people that are all the way across the country in Russia and that you still can relate to them on a human, American, 21-year-old level.
1: This is Jake. Uh, I'd say as far as modern playwrights go, um, currently my favorite playwright is uh, a woman named Carol Churchill uh, who's written uh, a lot, among other things, uh, Cloud Nine, A Number, Far Away, uh, Drunk Enough to Say I Love You. And uh, the reason that I think she's so great is that she writes with this incredible vitality. Her dialogue's almost electric, uh, and it, it moves so quickly. It, it, currently her style of writing is so bare that she doesn't even really have stage directions anymore. Um, and her plays now often only have like two or three characters, and are still more compelling than any you know, ten-character soap opera that I could watch on television. Um, and, and she's terrifying, uh, she's really, really frightening the things that she suggests about who we are as a species and, um, and what we are capable of towards one another and, uh, and why we should be so afraid of these things. Um, so that's, uh, she's probably my favorite right now, yeah.
0: And a writer on a writer.
4: This is James, I would say that uh, to me, without a doubt, uh, the best modern storyteller is Sam Shepard. His plays include uh, *Lie of the Mind*, *Buried Child*, *True West*, and uh, *Curse of the Starving Class*. He writes uh, about Americans and uh, and about our American struggle and our American legacy and like what it means to be um, living in a country that's like so built on ideas and and. And what it means to raise a family and to pass on these ideas, and and he writes about people living in the middle of the country, and he writes about people uh, living on every on, on in every state, and his stories are uh, are very compelling, and his ideas about about how he tells stories are uh, are undeniable.
0: This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon speaking with members of Less Than Rent Productions about their musical adaptation of Shakespeare's Richard III. So I'd like to know, uh, how did Less Than Rent Productions come together?
4: This is James. This is uh, Less Than Rent Productions' uh, NYC debut. This is our first uh, play together. The idea with Less Than Rent is just uh, to do some like independent theater that we can all get excited about. Um, it's just based out of Fordham. Uh, we all go uh, to Fordham. We're in the theater department. Uh, we want to continue making theater, whether it's over the summer when we're not in school or you know as we start to get older and graduate.
0: Who came up with the name, and who's, who actually got the whole ball rolling with the production?
4: Uh, this is James. The, the name Less Than Rent Productions is an allusion to the idea that we all pay pay. Um, Very high rents, and that we could produce a play for less than we pay for our collective rent every month. (laughs) Um, A number of the company members uh, wrote a proposal uh, to the Fringe Festival to produce our version of Richard III that we were in the process of writing when we wrote the proposal, and uh, it it wasn't something that we expected to get into. Uh, The Fringe Festival is, uh, you know. A lot of like, Broadway actors are acting in shows in the Fringe Festival this year. We, you know, we just, we're trying our best. and uh,
0: Specifically, what is Fringe?
4: Well, there are 18 theaters are rented out for like two and a half weeks. Basically every year they, they do the, the, this New York International Fringe Festival and you apply to get in and they go through all their applications and they pick around 200 shows each year that they're going to put in uh, these off-Broadway Theaters and basically for 16 days, all 18 theaters are open and doing a show all the time. You could never possibly see them all. I hope that ours is is the one that people is one of the ones that people co- choose to come see. Uh,
0: so the fact that um, less than rent productions won this opportunity to be part of Fringe is is it's a big honor, right? It's a, it's a huge honor. We're very, very excited about it. And this is a musical, correct? So how did you decide to make it a musical instead of just, you know, a normal, regular, old play?
4: A lot of our production is pieced together from different time periods. Uh, there are different ideas that kind of have conglomerated over time leading up to the apocalypse. So we wanted to kind of create like a musical score and a musical backdrop that would match the energy of the play. So we settled on this kind of punk rock idea, you know, kind of a, a roaring guitar and a, and a harsh drumbeat to, that, would, that would score the violence and the, the fast-paced nature of the play.
0: Um, and this goes out to anyone. Is this
1: post-apocalyptic backdrop hopeless? This is Jake. Um, yes, it is. Uh, more or less uh, it 's not in a world where there is no potential for good, um, but what our play does highlight is that before any good can come uh, you 're going to go through, uh, a lot of you're gonna have to go through a lot of darkness you 're going to have to go through a lot of bloodshed and uh, I think by the end of the play we we end on a more hopeful note, certainly, but it takes a long time to get there, and I think that the way the play leaves you is sort of at a place where you know that no matter what, there is still something dark uh, living in this world, and it's going to take a long time to purge it. So what would be your dream role to perform? This is Jake. Uh, besides Richard, um, I would say dream role um, probably, I don't know, maybe a Bobby and Company to be honest. Um, yeah, I'm going to go with that. Bobby and Company. What is that? Have you, have you ever seen The Musical Company by Stephen Sondheim? I just moved to oh, New York. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> uh, it's, just, it's about a guy who's going... I won't be able to play this role for another, like, 40 years, or 20 years, really. Um, it's about a middle-aged guy who's just going through a lot of problems because he feels very alone. Uh, all of his friends are married, are in relationships, and they're going through these sort of... Um, tumultuous times, and he's witnessing it and trying to make a decision for himself whether he ever even wants to be with somebody. Um, it's a really good musical.
2: Okay. Hi, this is Jason. I hate this question <laughs> because I never have an answer for it, and you get asked it all the time. Um, well, I guess you better come up with one. Yeah, I know I really should, but I just, I, I don't I don't have... A dream role, really. I don't know. I just feel like you have to be open to every everything that you get, and hopefully, you're able to be proud of the the people that you're able to create for people to watch. That's
3: fair. Yeah. I'm gonna piggyback on Jason's answer. I want to originate roles. I want to be like, what, like you know, when I'm an old lady and I'm looking back at my career, I want
0: like over 35. <laughs>
3: Yeah, hopefully, no, hopefully the apocalypse isn't coming that soon. I want to look back and, you know, see that I was on original cast recordings. I want to be like, you know, in the front of scripts as the first person to have ever done parts. We've been talking a lot about the value of looking at old work like Shakespeare and revamping it and doing it new, but we are also very into supporting our fellow young playwrights and you know a lot of our friends, James is here, but a lot of people who aren't here who are also in Less Than Rent are playwrights and I think that's where I'm at right now. I want to be creating
5: parts. All right, this is Becca. Rachel had a really good answer, <laughs> but I can't copy her answer, so I will give you another one. Um, I want to play uh, Williams' heroine, Tennessee Williams. I want to play Blanche. I want to play Alma. I want to play Maggie the Cat. I want to play all of them. <laughs>
4: okay. This is James. I think as a director, what I'd most like to do is, uh, is similar to what some of you guys are saying, uh, would be to direct uh, an original show um, and have that you know become a show that people want to do again you know when when there 's these plays that we talk about as like the great plays when Beck is talking about Tennessee Williams or we 're talking about Chekhov or Sam Shepard or Tony Kushner, the reason that they 're great playwrights is because their plays were done once and then they were done again, and then they 're going to keep on being done. I want to direct a play that that someone sees and wants to, wants to do again.
0: I want to say thank you to everyone. Thank you. thank you. My thanks to Less Than Rent Productions. Their musical adaptation of Shakespeare's Richard III will be part of the New York International Friends Festival beginning in mid-August. More information can be found at lessthanrentproductions.com or fringenyc.org. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. Next week, Mary Wilson will be your host. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m. You can also friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay with us. George Bodarki and Cityscape are next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. am living in.